Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cast of Cop, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my quartet, the man who has survived a sinkhole apocalypse, the one and only DJ. It was an average-sized sinkhole, and my car did not end up in it, so it's completely... (laughs) Still, I feel like... Do you feel like the universe is telling us something when it's just, like, literally trying to swallow us whole? I mean, these last couple of weeks with the snowstorms across the entire United States, the mm-hmm. ice storms and all of the other absurd mm-hmm. weather conditions mm-hmm. are like, well, you know, guys, uh, remember that thing you, you said wasn't happening? Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Seems a little different to me. Uh, you know, I'm not a scientist, but. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to say. I can't complain. I've been like so cold, but it's like California cold, which is nothing compared to what everybody else is experiencing. So like, I'm like, brr, this, this is, uh, this is untenable. How am I supposed <laughs> to survive? And then I hear about everybody else and I'm like, oh, I better shut up. Yeah, that's what I told <laughs> my wife. Nobody's going to be impressed with my 45 degree temperature woes. <laughs> I was like, we hit 22, but it's like Ooh. minus 20 in Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> so like, uh, you know, it could be way worse. And like, it is actually... You know, a snowstorm is always beautiful for the first day. You're yeah. like, oh, yeah, the city shuts down. It's nice and quiet outside. I can walk yeah. around in the snow. It's the like five or six days after that when they still haven't cleaned the streets and you're Just, like, like stepping that like, slush. yeah, exactly. And your <laughs> shoe gets all wet. And like not being a person in the Midwest now, like I don't have all of the gear ready that I would have normally right. had to like deal with this sort of thing. So right. I soaked through two shoes or two sets of shoes and then like, didn't have waterproof stuff to, to do this sort of thing or like no. the winter clothing to withstand, you know, the rain snow. And so, yeah. Cause like yeah. usually uh, the winters here are like 55. Right. As they should be. As yeah. have, like that's, that's a cold winter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know, maybe you're moving back to California. So maybe you'll get to enjoy these uh, temperate winters again. I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> I mean, uh, we we put in for jobs in both um, California and uh, across the country no. in Baltimore. No, <laughs> boo! So boo I could his California could be a a nine hour flight across the states or a six hour flight. I think. Yeah, I mean, I would still come, but I would prefer it if you were just like an hour away by car. That would be the best. You can show up, and then we'll hop in a train and go to New York. That's true. I mean, that is true. Once you get over there, it's like everything is nearby. And there's a lot of stuff in New England that I haven't seen that I really want to see. So I guess you can move to Baltimore, but I prefer (laughs) I still prefer you moving to California. (laughs) I'll send you some pictures of condos and then you're going to be like, I should move to Baltimore. I doubt it. (laughs) Oh, oh. close your eyes for a moment and imagine a three story brownstone walk up Mm -hmm. completely remodeled. Mm hmm. Five bedrooms, six bathrooms, mm-hmm. a uh, porch on the roof and on the third floor that was, uh, staggers out over the top of a park. Mm-hmm. Now, what what would you pay for said luxury? I'm guessing there, $400,000. Lower. $300,000? Lower. Okay, see, when you start getting to those numbers, there's a reason why. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> it, two, 245 Jeez is what Louise. you're looking at. And like the, the the section that it's in um has very high property crime. Um so like if you own a yeah. car, your car's going to get stolen. Yeah. But like no violent <laughs> crime. So like that's but fine like still <laughs> I, I just won't reason. own a bicycle or a car and like you know, then I don't have to worry about it being stolen off the street. They're writing those for sale signs on top of red flags. Like that is what <laughs> But anyway, all right, I, all right, whatever I you do, I'm excited and I will visit you either whether you're in Sacramento or Baltimore. Um, <laughs> but let's go to Midworld. In the okay, meantime, Mid-World let's get is. to Midworld. Okay, so the plan for this episode, we're going to kick off the show with our in-depth conversation about Wolves of the Kala, Part 3, The Wolves, Chapter 2, The Dogen, Part 1, Sections 1 Oof. through 8. Uh, but before we get into that, just in case somebody has stumbled onto the show for the first time, Weird place to join us, but welcome. We're glad you're here. Can you please let our, our listeners know what the spoiler policy is? So like happiness bringing a warm gun to your neck, we will <laughs> let you know with some heat when we jump into the spoiler zone. <laughs> Very well played. Well played. <laughs> 
All right. Where did we last leave off with our beloved Kotet? Uh, so we last left off with the explanation of basically uh, the Susanna story and mm-hmm. also the like, you definitely can't get an abortion uh, ultimatum from Mm-mm-mm. the good reverend. Uh, no. With that finished, an introduction to I'll take you to go get the, you know, the black 13 or you can go get the black 13. And so all of that like led up to this crest. And now we're like finally over the hill of storytelling. <laughs> and like action time. I, I say that like a, a little, I still like the stories, but it's always a little weird when you are in a book and like you're hit with a story in a story. And mm-hmm. in this particular book, we we keep getting hit with story after story after mm-hmm. story in the mm-hmm. stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 And like, I need the information, so it's really good. It's just that like, ooh, now we're back to regular stuff again. Yeah, you're ready to see some more like, you know, gun barrels upside people's faces and whatnot. Yeah, some act, like a little bit of action, right? Well, good news, because this section definitely has that. <laughs> All right, so we pick up with basically uh, Roland and Eddie wandering into the church. Um, there's some comments about uh, the art on the church walls, as well as the constant uh, humming uh, from Black 13 inside of the church. Um, when they finally get it, they uh, place it inside of that uh, box that they got from the yard where the rose was. And there's a interesting discussion about this, because like, they were Todash when they got that box mm-hmm. that they're putting it in, but the box came with them. But you're supposed to be like, what, ephemeral, I guess would be the term. Yeah. When you're Todash, right? So, like, you, how, how, how you bring back, yo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't it like ghost rules where you have to, like, your hands will just go through it kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess this is like it, the double entendre is, is Roland's like, Oh, the bag's probably toe dash all the time. And so yeah. it's like, is this a ghost bag? Ghost bag. <laughs> it, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's one way to deal with the problem of, of having to carry around essentially a bomb. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, Stephen King leads up to this, uh, this picking up the black 13 of like the serious hum and the feelings of like, it could send you into nothingness mm-hmm. and like completely destroy you. And then the bag must be pretty special because as they uh, put the ball in the bag and slowly close it up, the enormous hum goes to a whisper and then to just like a slight irritation in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. And, and the the thing is, is like he makes pains to say that Black 13 hasn't even woken up. Right. So this is it. And it's like most docile state. And it sounds like a scary son of a gun. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. Now, I see you only have one dot here, Rachel. Do you have anything to add to that? I mean, I just think it's kind of worth noting. There's some, like, very subtle writing here that I appreciated um, right off the start. It kicks off. Basically, the opening line is, uh, when Roland and Eddie entered Our Lady of Serenity following the morning, daylight was only a distant rumor on the northeast horizon. And it's just kind of this subtle way of reminding us that this is, like, a world that's coming apart and it's mm-hmm. off its access. Uh, and I think that King does a, a lot of this. It's almost subliminal the way that he writes these things to remind you that he, we are in kind of a, a, a the entropy is impacting this world and it is falling apart so that it feels you feel this tension and this ticking clock of what's, ha- you know, of why they need to hurry up and deal with these problems that they're facing down. So that was good. I also didn't know if you were going to bring up the UXB series, which I looked up and it's just a TV series from the 70s. It's called Danger UXB. Okay. Yeah, I had no idea. I thought that was like some acronym I had missed, so I just <laughs> forgot about it. I was like, this feels like a DJ note. <laughs> what is UXB? No, uh, actually, my questions here uh, were around the religious uh, notes because Stephen King takes pains to describe the paintings on the wall in the church. And then also there's that moment with Eddie and uh roland where like eddie like does the catholic cross mm-hmm. and then like roland kind of smirks but then does it as well right it just kind of tells you that even though he's not a religious person whatever the source of this power is like it kind of makes you a little superstitious you know what i mean like mm-hmm. have you know like when you say that like just in case kind of prayer like and roland is a little bit self not self-conscious but like a little self-effacing in the way that he does it where he kind of like has a slight smile like yeah okay cross but like like i said it's just another subtle bit of writing that really tells you exactly sort of the atmosphere the black 13 creates around it oh okay 
All right, so uh, moving on, uh, basically they head out from there. They go over to the caves that we haven't talked about for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And this is the uh, you know the one with the doorway in it and like the yeah. caves in Saltia and stuff. And <laughs> well, you're making I mean, it sound like it's an insult comic or yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's your it's the people you've wronged or have been in your life, and they are are talking to you and kind of uh, uh, talking down to you in Eddie's case, um, mm-hmm. making him feel like he can't accomplish the task or he's not up to it. Um, but we find out a little bit more about what the plan is to save the children. Um, not the plan itself, but like kind of, uh, an allusion to the illusion that will happen. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, uh, Roland has been telling everybody that there's these caves out there. Let's go hide the kids in them. And the reason for that is because they suspect there is a mole somewhere in the city, you know, uh, with like, I think that the description was something like, um, you know, passed on from generation to generation or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and so Roland definitely suspects that there's someone that is feeding information to the wolves and affirms that they're definitely not actually going to put the kids in right. those caves. Right. And that's the thing. So it's like now we know that there's going to be a faint going on mm-hmm. um, and that the characters are actually aware that there is a trap inside of the trap. And I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll allude to more of that as, you know, we follow Jake along later with other things. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. like, I, it feels like we're finally getting the ball rolling on all the things that we sort of know are, are going on, but like haven't had the full reveal yet. Yep. The and dominoes is, are starting to drop. Yep, yeah. And, and this is a good one. And then, you know, when Eddie's talking about it, he mentions, um, Roland's previous plans to like trick yep. everybody into the canyon mm-hmm. and like it's like there is no canyon to trick them into this time you know what do we do yeah I, I mean it, I love that beat actually um where Eddie is looking at the arroyo and he says it's like reminiscent of Eyebolt Canyon mm-hmm. and what's interesting is when he says that to Roland Roland is pretty unsurprised and I think it's it's kind of this idea that everything is very cyclical everything is a coincidence and while which is something we're seeing a lot with like earlier in the book where they're talking about everything 19 19 19 and Roland was like very resistant to that like he's not ready to buy into all of the 19 but he seems to recognize that in some ways caught is a wheel so if we're so it's unsurprising that that we're back to echoing the past which I thought was kind of a nice detail especially as this chapter goes on, we see that also with Eddie's history. You know, like we're going to talk about the whole, the Jack Andalini of it all and where we started with Eddie and where we are now. And so in some ways they kind of mirror each other and both of them are having these sort of like cyclical caw things where they're coming back to where it all began. Um, and yeah, I think the generations of traders thing is interesting because like it, it like, Eddie's wondering how this works over all of these generations of families that have had one of their children snatched by the wolves. Is it a family of traitors? Is it them seeking out someone who's vulnerable? How does this work? I don't know. I assume you remember this, so I guess I can't ask you what you think. But oh, uh, Well, no. So, you know, we've already had some of the major reveals that don't fall into the spoiler zone. Yeah. Like, you know, Andy and and what's his name's dad chatting in the distance, yeah. you know, the mm-hmm. one person with like good spectacles and a bad story about him, <laughs> you know, yeah. like these are these are pretty big uh, signposts saying like, <laughs> no, this guy did it for the for the spectacles. Mm hmm. Or something's up because we know he's lying about them because Jake can sense it through the, the his. Yeah, it, exactly. And and so it's no s- secret that um, that both Andy and and the father are, are have something going on mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. we haven't been shown or pointed towards any other folks that are of shady nature. So it, unless this is going to turn into like a, a double, double switch on us at the end, like <laughs> I, I feel like we're heading, we're heading down a path. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So, and I remember a little bit going forward, but I don't remember everything. So I'm going to leave it at that. Perfect. Just without sneaking over the line into the spoiler zone. <laughs> so Perfect. when you mentioned that uh, we get this kind of um, cyclical nature where we're getting back to like a repeat of some of the other stories, 
when they get to the cave, um, none other than Eddie's brother and mm-hmm. his mom like start basically talking to him and you know telling him that he can't accomplish stuff and he should go back to uh, whittling and like you know his mom's like, well, that was your brother, you know, and like the that brings you back into the New York time of Eddie's win. And like, you also get this vibe that at first, uh, you know, Eddie was jonesing to like get to a door to go get drugs mm-hmm. again. And like, he has this moment with Roland where he's like, aren't you, aren't you worried that I'm just gonna, you know, go back and get high. He's like, no, nah. <laughs> like, that's the last thing I'm worried about now. He's like, we got other problems. Yeah. And there's, there's even this, and I had forgotten about this until we got to the door description, but, um, I'd forgotten the door was like right at the edge of a cliff. Yeah. And so Eddie's like, what if I walk around it? Uh, Roland's like, you won't see anything. Also, you'll fall down a really big hole. Yeah. Yep. 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 And, and so that's kind of fun. And then like, there's this moment where they're like, wait, do you know how this works? No. Mm-hmm. Do you know how this works? No. And, <laughs> and like, he's like, I guess you just think about the place. And then like Eddie intuitively, like, comes to this realization that he can't go back to the exact same day that he toe dashed to previously, but he can go back to another day and has this like kind of a beautiful, like seventies description of New York with like people marching around the the price of a taxi cab. Yeah. (laughs) And and all these other things that are like um, nostalgia for that moment. (laughs) And like, even to like, uh, you know, uh, all I was doing back then was smoking cigarettes and trying to jerk off. And I wasn't even accomplishing that well. You know? <laughs> and then like suddenly the door opens for him and like, he's able to go through. And right before he heads through the door, he has this one like moment with Roland where he's like, uh, if I die, you know, take Susan or take care of Susanna for me. And he's like, that's the last thing I want to do. You, you better come back, you know? And, yeah. and it's like, you know, now you kind of feel like Eddie, has reached peak gunslinger in that moment because Roland and him are sharing the moment instead of being commanded by the moment. Right. And also he's like, my job is to protect the rose is like what he thinks in that. Oh moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is incredibly telling about his transformation. I'm glad you brought up that description of New York because I think it's so well written. And one of the reasons I love about it is it kind of makes you do the thing that Eddie is doing in that moment. So mm-hmm. as he's describing it and like, building those visuals in his head in order to be able to set up the path, you know, through the door, those descriptions are kind of percolating in your mind. And it's like the picture is coming into focus in your mind as it's going into, into his, it's just a very, very cool, well-written passage. I feel. Oh yeah. It's long enough and detailed enough that I started like, Oh yeah. I would have loved to have been in like, you can almost like smell the stinky trash day. (laughs) in new york and like the cabbies being like hey what are you looking at mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's that level uh and so yeah it's super good um yeah. well i also think and that you started to touch on this and i think this is kind of the important thing of this at least this portion of this chapter that we're going to be covering today is that really one of the main running themes in this section is about how much Eddie has changed and who he is today as opposed to who he was the last time he was in new york mm-hmm we get you know his sort of his reaction or rather his non-reaction to the voices in the cave and there was a time where if he had walked in there he probably would have just beelined for the edge of that cliff it would have broken him but here he's able to take it much more in stride and even with of course his patented humor so we see there's like a maturing that has happened with eddie we also get like insight into physically how he's changed you know we don't king doesn't spend a lot of time talking about their appearances very rarely do we hear anything about it and so here we learn what he's wearing but also that he has like long hair now we're painting a picture of a person who looks very different than the junkie that we met when we first when he first came through the door and reinforcing how much eddie has changed we we have that moment where, you know, he says his his job is to protect Susanna and Eddie's response is, like I said, that like his loyalty is actually to the Rose. And as much as he wants to like put distance between who he and Roland are, as we'll see as we go through this chapter even more, the fact is at the end of the day, at his core, he is a gunslinger and he has a quest and that quest is protecting the Rose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's interesting is, you know, 
as he's painting this picture of New York that we talked about and how we love how it was written, another detail about it I think is really telling is the way that he's talking about it when he's detailing it is he's using all of the language that that uh, the mid-world language, all that that you know, slang and the and the way that they describe things like calling things gunnas and and all of that kind of stuff. Like he it's one thing for him to be speaking like he's from Midworld when he's in Midworld. But what we're getting is inside his head and the way that he views the world now, it's not just code switching. Like this has impacted the way the lens that he sees the world through now. And that's a very different Eddie than the man that we first met. And what's so interesting is that he has as he's building these memories and he's describing the city like there is this nostalgia and this affection and then he actually succeeds in creating this path to New York walks through the door and all of those familiar sounds and smells of New York don't hit like they used to it's if anything he kind of feels like they're unpleasant now and then he kind of there's a, a he refers to himself as the fan gone or exiled one and you really realize that he is no longer a new yorker yeah so even to the point where um when he was asking roland like hey can you give me one of your um you know pieces of leather so yeah. i can tie my hair up and like mm-hmm. I, well i don't have a zipper on these pants but like he looks himself up and down and is like well you know maybe um i look just enough like uh, an artist going hippie for a yeah. little while <laughs> mm-hmm. you know the, the cooler parts of town there's also and, and this is where i was uh, alluding to with the um almost equals now is there's a moment where uh eddie is handed roland's gun mm-hmm. and, and like the i don't know if i what do we call the sack that just has no ending? The sack that has no ending? Yeah, you know, the one that Roland always carries around that, like, he can reach oh, into and, like, can continues. Right. To, and he's like, I've never seen the bottom of that and it always has stuff in it. And, like, those are two of, like, Roland's, you know, um, gunslinger um, uh, emblems, I guess, or, or uh, uh, yeah, emblems, maybe. Like, they're, they're a sign of, like, yeah of his power and of like him being a gunslinger and he like willingly just hands these over to eddie to take to the to the other world trusting that eddie has the skills and abilities to use them appropriately without Mm -hmm. question and yeah and that's like a it's a pretty good pat on the back from your trainer to be like now my tools are your tools sir Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm right absolutely no i think you're totally right and you know as we go into this next section it's really interesting to see him. Well, I'll, I'll you keep going in and then I'll I'll circle back. But oh, yes. yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, so we we get this this touching moment with Roland. Uh, he goes through the door. Uh, the wine from the door and the black thirteen are going. And as he looks through the door, he can see that Roland's shoving bullets in his ears, just like he did when they were walking <laughs> by the thinny. Yep. And like Roland, uh, I mean Eddie's like, ah, good idea that worked last time, you know. Eddie rolls in, and the first thing he does is like when he interacts with someone, he. He uses a mid-world term. Yeah. And they're like, what? And he's like, oh, never mind. And, you know, and then like kind of wanders off and heads for the restaurant of the mind. Um, And and there's nothing really exciting there other than that moment. And this kind of leans in on what you were saying about the mid-world sort of being him now is, Mm -hmm. you know, he doesn't even have his New York jive like he used to anymore. He's lost it to mid-world speech because he's so familiar with it and so immersed in that particular world now. Um, Yeah. But we do see that, like, he's still not quite gunslinger ready because he gets to the uh, Manhattan um, restaurant for the mine. And, like, you know, there's a bunch of book references as he's walking. He's thinking about, like, all the sci fi that he used to used to read, which Mm -hmm. I thought was kind of funny. Um, Mm -hmm. I I feel like when I listen to that section, I've been mispronouncing some of my favorite sci fi. (laughs) Oh no! <laughs> I always thought it. Uh, uh, I thought it was Robert Heinlein, and they pronounced it as Robert Heinlein. Oh yeah, I've been saying it wrong too. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, so I don't know. <laughs> like I, I was like, oh, I recognize Asimov, all these other ones, and then like they got to that guy, and I was like, wait a minute. If I, if I, I've been saying like the, no one's corrected me my entire life, and I've oh, just no. been saying it that way. Uh, but he gets into the into the store and like. He doesn't notice what's going on at first. He's like, well, that's weird. You know, like the guy that's usually a staple at the um, the bar. Uh, what is it? Roger Dito. 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Aaron Deepno. Aaron Deepno, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Is, is sitting there. Roger Deepno. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like Aaron Deepno's brother with a gambling addiction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, Eddie's like, well, this is weird. It's closed up on, a, you know, on a busy day, like before 3.30 and like there's no one at the counter. Like, what's going on here? And like, you you suddenly step back and you have the voice of roll and like, you know, <laughs> Use your eyes for something other than a, a thing to catch light. Yeah. <laughs> Rolling with the very obscure burn. Jeez. Yeah, I know. I, uh, I almost wrote that one down just to see if I could find an excuse to use it. Somewhere. Yeah. So I feel weird. like you could work it into normal conversation, especially if you were at that, that like science thing you go to. Oh, yeah, science on tap. Uh-huh. I mm. feel like that's that's the audience right there. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> after he, he has this internal moment there... He looks at everything again and realizes, okay, there's some broken glasses. You know, this thing is ajar. The door is weird. Um, I forget all the things that he notices in that list. But it's basically, you know, if you're a gunslinger, you're supposed to be able to survey your environment and and understand, like, what is askew and astray and Mm -hmm. understand, like, what has happened. And once he puts all that together, he realizes that, like, there's probably someone here to uh, rough up tower to yep. get him to, you know, uh, turn over the lot. And and so Eddie, like, as, like, a very, um, I don't know, confident person, just, like, takes a piece of paper, slides it into the door, you know, so that it doesn't latch, opens the door up, and, like, wanders in. And he wanders in so smooth and calm that these guys that are actually, um, you know, a threatening tower are don't even notice him. Mm-hmm. And like that's like the ultimate gunslinger mojo, in my personal opinion, is that you could just like smooth in like a ninja, yeah, <laughs> and hang out. And like it takes a while. And what we see is that um, they've got one of uh, of Tower's rare books. Um, it's worth like seventy five hundred bucks, and they've got gasoline, and they're gonna pour it on it and start it on fire. And <laughs> then there's this whole discussion about. Uh, him actually owning a $26,000 signed copy of Ulysses. Mm -hmm. Um, And like Calvin's like, I don't, I don't keep that in my, my uh, bookstore. That one's in like a safety deposit box. (laughs) And and their threat is like, we're going to burn this book. Right. I'm going to get a verbal commitment from you. And then we're going to (laughs) leave. And it's like, what? Damn. I know. Right. (laughs) <laughs> um, and now I've jumped a, a pretty far forward. So let's back up for a second and like have Rachel comment. Cause I, you know, that's a pretty high level overview of what's happened up to the, the bit where we start the fighting. Sure. I mean, I will say we kind of breeze past the Robert Heinlein thing, but uh, I did look up the book that he refers to, which is called the doorway to summer. Mm-hmm. And it is about time travel oh, and okay. it was inspired by his cat. What? Yes. So he apparently he had a cat and it was like meowing to be let out. And so he opened the door and it it was snowing outside and the cat was just like, no, I'm not going out in the snow. But it kept meowing at different doors wanting to be let out. And so uh, Highland's wife was like, he's trying to find a door to summer. And he was like, stop what you're doing. I got to go write a book. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how it came to be. So it's about this guy who... Um, it's like, and it's set in a dystopian future and he kind of gets screwed over by his business partner who gets him to go to like into this slumber for 30 years when he was like on the verge of having massive success. Mm-hmm. And so he, when he awakes, he discovers there's a way to time travel to go back and be reunited with the person that he loves and his cat. So <laughs> that I feel like, you know, there's the doorways, there's the time travel. King takes a lot of inspiration from different literature. He references a lot of literature. This this book has co- become about storytelling and different versions of the worlds in which storytelling is, you know, an important factor. So I think that when he pulls in these literary references, I always think that there's like a little bit of a, you know, there's a reason for why he's selecting the things that he is. So the other thing on the books, and I, I wanted to circle back to this as well, is um, they're kind of, Stephen King is kind of basically spelling out that Eddie's not as dumb as we had originally made him out to oh, be. No. Like, he was a you know a 12 13 year old going voraciously to the library to get every sci-fi author's book he could think of and mm-hmm. read them 
while his family sort of made fun of him for being a reader. And like that little insight into Eddie really shows that like, you know, he kind of just was slacking off. for. Yeah. I mean, I think he was repressed. You know what I mean? I think naturally he would have been the smartest kid in class. He had this deep intellectual curiosity Mm -hmm. and it was completely smashed by shame and like jealousy by his dumb, dumb brother. I think he was shamed out of those things because like you saw it in the cave where he's like, go back and read your sci-fi novel, homo, that kind of stuff. And those are that kind of bullying is comes from insecurity because his brother was a moron. And obviously there was something incredibly special about Eddie from the start. I mean, he's so witty. Of course he's intelligent, but I think he just sort of had that confidence beat out of him. And that's. You know, it's very telling, these little things we learn about Eddie. But we see him take this and put it into practice as a gunslinger because there's like another sort of small mention in here a couple of times where he's experiencing as he's realizing what's happening and intuiting what's happening inside the store. Um, He gets these things he describes as like pulses of anger. Mm -hmm. And he had previously described this feeling to Roland and how like if you get enough of these, it'll just kind of turn into this like white hot gunslinger rage i don't know okay um but when he tells roland about it roland's just like yeah all of gunslingers experience that and he's like no 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 we're not like you and he's like very much trying to distance himself from roland who just doesn't respond when he says this which i'm just like roland has thicker skin than me that would hurt my feelings but um i think it just kind of like speaks to these where he is now compared to when he had that conversation with him like i think he's in a a deeper acceptance of the fact that he does have these similarities to Roland, that they are more alike than he maybe wants to admit. And I think it's also really kind of great insight into the way the gunslinger mind works. And like, we've seen Roland switch into that mode. Like you go back to the first book and he switches into that mode, but it's interesting being able to have someone like describe it in the way that Eddie can, that Roland never could or would. Mm. So that's really cool. The other thing, and I don't know if this means anything, it's just or if it's just a coincidence, but I do think, like I said, that King tends to weave in other stories, other pieces of literature that have like for a reason. And something I noticed, not the first time I read it, but the second time I read it, that there's two points in this chapter where he specifically talks about classic Christmas film or Christmas stories. What? So, yes. So when he first gets to the cave, he mentions uh, like he hears his brother and he like compares him to Ebenezer Scrooge. Okay. I missed and, that one. Yep. I know. That's why I said I got it the second time. And then now when he gets into the bookstore, he like breaks in the door and the door is broken. So like it's going to open again. So he grabs a page out of the Grinch who stole Christmas and stuffs and it, it in the door. Yeah. Yes. And he's like, I never liked that ending anyway. I'm just curious what if you have any theories as to why it might. I mean, I have my theory, but I, I want to know if you have any thoughts about that. I mean, I'm you're just laying this uh, this carnal knowledge on on me. <laughs> carnal <laughs> knowledge. Oh, my. <laughs> well, it's so I, I caught the, the Grinch thing and um, and I thought like. You know, we we've referenced children's books throughout um, these the series I was just thinking like in the law, lo- the lines of like, oh, mm-hmm. Stephen King is picking another um, Christmas series to talk about. But like if the point made is that uh, I never liked that ending anyway. Well, let's take a look at Scrooge and take a look mm-hmm. at um, the Grinch. Both of them are enlightenment tales where it's mm-hmm. like you discover after being an asshole that like these are the things that your assholeness causes in the world and, <laughs> and what kind of problems it is. And like, you should be a better person and then poof, they're a better person. So, you know, right. uh, it's sort of a cliche. And if Eddie doesn't like that, what does that tell you about the possible ending of, of their own story or oh, wow. a story in the future or a story adjacent to them that, you know, like, oh, you've seen the ways that you've done things wrong. Like, but instead of getting to go free and being a good person after that, nope, we're bringing on the gunslinger punishment for you. Oh, see, I like your answer way better. Wait, what did you <laughs> I think that's actually really interesting because you're right. Like, what does like as we project forward, what does that say about the way that he sees his story playing out? That's really interesting. I was kind of more like he's distancing himself from 
things that are like intrinsic to his his New Yorker culture, you know, like Christmas stories, things that we grew up with are very even though they're not necessarily American because, you know, mm-hmm. Dickens, but they are definitely more more of our 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 shared collective culture than Midworld, right? So I was I kind of saw it as like a rejection of that, but I actually like where you're going with this because you're right. Like there is similarity into the formula of both of those stories like everybody at the end heart grows two times si- yeah harder. exactly and yeah okay that okay i'm gonna think more about that that's really interesting i love that that idea. was off the cuff though so i uh no no no. i, I can't say that i put a lot like of deep it. thought into it no i really like it though i think that there's some there there because they are thematically the same kind of story it's not just christmas it's about like you said like a redemption story and what we're reading is not a redemption story. <laughs> no. no, no, it is not. Okay, okay. Um, All right, that's what I got for this. So thing. we were uh, we're stalling to the last bit of the action, and this is at the moment where they realize that Eddie is there. And before we get into this whole section, I want to stop for a minute and point out um, something that uh, um, Calvin Tower says in his mm-hmm. like internal dialogue. He like looks at the two thugs that are sent from Balazar to like, you know, beat him up and get him to sell his place. And then he looks at Eddie and he he feels that Eddie looks even scarier than these dudes. I pulled the quote. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I also was really struck by this. Okay, so we do get a perspective shift, right? Mm -hmm. Like as the action starts, we switch to what Calvin is seeing. And I think it ties back to all these ideas of really getting a new perspective on Eddie, literally in this case. So he says, for Calvin Tower, who had begun life as Calvin Torrin, there was no immediate sense of relief. No, thank God I'm saved feeling. His first thought was, they're bad, this new one is worse. Mm-hmm. In the dim light of the storage room, the newcomer seemed to merge with his own leaping shadow and become an apparition ten feet tall, one with burning eyeballs starting starting from their sockets and a mouth pulled down to reveal jaws that lined with glaring white teeth that almost looked like fangs. This is Eddie? I know, right? <laughs> Whoa! This <laughs> is like some Batman comic way. book level stuff, right? The tall shadow behind him and like yeah. the wicked grin. Yeah, it really paints a picture of who Eddie is. Last time he was here and he was facing off with Andalini, he was a naked, terrified junkie. <laughs> and here he is, just like a creature from your nightmares, just summoned out of seemingly thin air and absolutely terrifying Calvin. I don't know. It's just it's just incredibly telling about where Eddie has how he has evolved. Yeah, so Eddie uses a classic trick which I have actually done multiple times even what? if you don't know. What? <laughs> uh well, I'm not <laughs> pulling what? guns out and <laughs> jumping. What's the statute of limitations for? Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, no, no. So if, like um, one of the, if you ever work a convention table or whatever, one of the um, disarming things you can do is if someone has something that identifies their name on them, but they're mm. not thinking about it, is you immediately go to that and like, hey, how's your grandma doing? I haven't seen you in so long. And the natural inkling for someone who gets that reaction is to try and reciprocate and figure out how they're supposed to have known you. <laughs> And a lot of people uh, will just like roll with it. Um, and they, they're like, oh, shit, I don't want to be rude. Oh, hey, yeah, yeah, buddy. Exactly. <laughs> and, and Eddie does this like, hey, ah, ugliest bastard, big nose. Like, I've seen you in forever. And like these guys are disarmed by that because they're just like, wait, wait what? Oh, this must be. Uh, wait, who is who is this guy? Yeah. And then like Eddie takes that moment to just jump across the room and leap at him and like holds this giant. What, what I can only imagine is like a 1920s, you know, uh, English era revolver. Blunderbuss. <laughs> yeah, blunderbuss. <laughs> Up to his neck. And and the guy's like, where did you even get this prop gun? And he's like, prop gun, huh? And then he like turns behind him and fires a shot. <laughs> and, and like puts the barrel back up to his neck. And the guy's like, oh, the barrel's so hot. It's like, well, you know this is how it'll feel when you, you go to hell. You yeah, not as hot of where you're about to go, buddy. Right? <laughs> and, and this is like, uh, you know, we haven't seen Eddie get into like 
an action scene like this in quite some time. So quite some time. Yeah, I mean, we've had some like duels and some shooting and stuff, but like this is uh, like Lud. Yeah. Lud was the last time we saw him in any action. Yeah, and this is one on one Eddie just rocking it. He mm-hmm. gets the guy, you know, traps him, threatens him, and like because he's so familiar with these guys from uh, you know, a previous where and when, or mm-hmm. well, you know, uh I guess we're led to believe uh an adjacent universe, right? Yeah. Um, he's able to name all of their family members and all of their friends, all of the other coworkers in the Bal- Balazar department. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, I guess if he's, he's like Elon Musk and this is his like working Ugh. department over here, I don't know. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those words are electric. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm not in, I'm not in Chicago this week. Right. Um, <laughs> Have you seen all of the like, the Tesla graveyards? No, I have not. Was there? Is that like what's? Do you going not know on? this? Oh no! So, the Tesla owners didn't realize that your battery doesn't charge when it's cold, and because of this cold snap, there's all of these like Tesla graveyards where people are trying to charge their cars and they won't charge. Oh, yeah. That's why when you're like they're electric, I'm like not in Chicago. <laughs> I heard. So I saw that there were some people having trouble with charging. I just didn't realize uh, mm-hmm. that they weren't charging at all Mm-mm. because the Teslas are supposed to have a heater in it that warms the battery up enough to get it to charge. I mean, they make a lot of promises at Tesla. <laughs> 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 okay, but anyway. All right. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry. <laughs> I digress. Um, so Eddie's just basically hitting it hard. I mean, he's able to threaten this guy every which way. Um, and he knows that this guy in a... Uh, a previous life was basically the head lieutenant of, of Balazar's gang. And like, he's not there yet, but he's not stupid. And this threat hits home. And he's like, listen, you better tell your boss that like the tech corporation is now going to own this. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I just whipped that one out of my ass. And then, yep. you know, <laughs> and like uh, he's protected. So his, fr- his friends, you know, Dino shouldn't see any problems. And like, just lists up and down the sort of threats and Eddie in this scary state, like he's actually got these guys uh, concerned (laughs) and, you know, tower is like also afraid that like once they leave, what's he going to do to him? Right. Yeah. And and that's like, uh, that's a pretty, uh, pretty aggressive Eddie that we're getting here. And then that's it. Yeah, I know. I mean, I understand this is a little bit of a cliffhanger because we're like stopping in mid action, but this chapter was very long and we had to stop somewhere. Um, and we're going to we're going to finish it next week. But uh, I do think that there's some good stuff in here I want to touch on briefly, one of which you kind of already began talking about, which was the way that he approaches um, Andalini and Biondi. Mm-hmm. Uh and how he does the friendly thing. It's interesting, right? Because as he's going into the room, we have this internal dialogue where he's like, if they spot me, I'm going to scream my head off because that can sometimes distract them for a second or two. And that's all the difference it takes. But when he actually gets spotted, what's interesting is that he doesn't scream his head off. Instead, he goes into this like charm offensive almost. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, you know, it just, underscores the ways in which his personality and his gifts make him an effective gunslinger, despite being something totally different than, you know, Roland or the way that court would have trained him. And it's just this reinforcing of like, we talked about the wheel of Ka, how much Cuthbert like he is like he's giving big Cuthbert energy in this. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. So I thought that was an interesting sort of character beat moment where it's just kind of a reminder of, you know, how Eddie has changed a lot. But Eddie is still very much in there. <laughs> the other thing is, is he's such a badass in this section. He last time we like we've alluded to last time he was around these guys, he was naked, terrified. Certainly without Roland, he would have been in a he would never have survived that situation. But here he comes in. He was totally outmatched last time. Now they're totally matched by him. He makes quick work of both of them, knocking out one immediately, taking down the other like beating him up. There's never a, t- a split second where you're worried about Eddie. He's so much more prepared and powerful and trained than these guys are. And that is a huge shift from how it was the last time they were there. So it's again, just this reinforcement of the evolution of Eddie that is, that is so much a part of this chapter. Um, I also think 
that it was smart that they he took a moment to like think about when he's got Andalini penned and he's like, should I tell him about, you know, in 10 years from now, you're going to get eaten by a lobstrosity. I wouldn't <laughs> believe start it. Start with your shoes and work your way up. Right. Because the thing is, is we all know where Andalini ends up. So it's like, where are the stakes in this? Right. Mm -hmm. But he kind of comes to this realization of like, oh, we're on a different level of the tower or a different world. Maybe that's not what happens here. So it re sort of enforces that there are potentially stakes that knowing because time travel can be problematic that way. Right. Like if we all know how things are fated to turn out, then you're like, all right, well, uh, none of what's happening right now really matters. So that's that's kind of just like good writing, I feel like, on King's part. Um, and I, you know, I love these moments where you really kind of get an idea of who Eddie is through other people's eyes, whether it's Calvin's uh, first impressions of Eddie, or even when we get this moment, this beat where he's got Jack pinned and you can see that Jack has this, like Andalini has this like switch, right? Where he sees Eddie for what he really is. The thing that, that Roland recognized from the beginning that he sees him with his bloodshot eyes and his snarling mouth. And he has, he's like struck with horror of being like, Oh no, this guy is scarier and more dangerous and means it than I would have ever imagined. So to scare Jack and Lini tells you so much about what Eddie has become, even though he's still our lovable Eddie, there is this other side to him. That's absolutely terrifying. And then last character beat again, something very subtle, but I feel like is kind of, tying into this thing earlier on where we're talking about those pulses of rage and how he tries to distance himself from Roland. Mm -hmm. But he has a very Roland-esque moment at the end of the section here where he's threatening Andalini and saying, like, this guy's under Gilead protection. You, If you come near him, I'm going to kill everybody in your family. And he means what he's saying. But there's this other little voice in the back of his head that realizes that once they get the ownership of the property that he doesn't even care about tower anymore <laughs> whatever happens to calvin doesn't ultimately matter it's so on eddie like but there is a little piece of roland and eddie and in that moment you're like oh boy so between that that modalization that he cared more about the protecting the rose than susan all of those kinds of things are just kind of i don't know interesting character beats to tell you who eddie is today and you know potentially who he could become i don't know interesting stuff great great character or this is a chapter that we got a lot of action but underpinned by a ton of great character stuff in my opinion so i love this chapter how about you uh you know we've been hiatus for a little while so it's really nice I don't know to what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> it's very nice to lead in with something like this instead of uh, mm -hmm. a romantic or boring Oof. chapter um <laughs> so and then this like has the potential to just like continue ramping upward and forward so mm -hmm. i feel like from here we're finally getting into that stretch where you're gonna be like oh yeah this what about this what about this and like it makes me happy i like that me too i agree this was a really fun chapter and it was fun to talk about because it had all the stuff you love and all the stuff i love this is a very good one for us all right. Speaking of chapters, we'll, of course, be back uh, to discuss the rest of this chapter very soon. Plan for next episode is to cover part three, the wolves, chapter two, the Dogen, part one, sections nine through 17. So everybody read up and come on back. We'll be covering that next. Um, as far as like, you know, I like to keep track of the Stephen King and um, Dark Tower news. There's still things are mostly quiet on the Dark Tower front, but... The one little update is an interview with the playlist. Uh, do you know who Carla Gugino is? No idea. Okay. Uh, did you see Gerald's Game? Uh, no, but I know it exists. Okay. Can you imagine who the actor is in Gerald's Game? <laughs> uh, probably, yeah. Okay. I feel like you would like her. She's like a big-eyed, beautiful brunette lady. So that is, I mean, you know, yeah, in you your wheelhouse. Me, you had yeah. me a brunette. <laughs> so anyway she is a frequent collaborator with mike flanagan she was in the fall of the house of she's in all of the house of usher all those ones okay um and hill house and but gerald's game i think was their first uh collaboration i think that was the first movie she was in she's the main character she is the person that's handcuffed to the bed throughout the whole movie um 
Well, someone in an interview with her uh, for the playlist asked her if there were any dark, if she was going to be in the Dark Tower, if there was any Dark Tower updates. And she gave a very vague one, but still one that's hopeful because, you know, when it's quiet, you get worried because usually quiet leads to development help. But she did say that she has had conversations with Mike Flanagan about being in the series. I don't know what part. I don't know how serious those conversations were, but it's just an indication that conversations are still happening behind the scenes for our fingers crossed, toes crossed, tongue crossed, eyes crossed adaptation by Mike Flanagan. So any thoughts? I mean, until something materializes, I'm just going to shrug and be like, eh, yeah, I'll see it when I see it. <laughs> Fair. I guess we've had our heart broken a lot. Even just in the time we've been doing the show, we've had a heartbroken twice. I know, exactly. <laughs> like, what, fool me once, fool me twice sort of thing. And you're like, well, now you yeah. don't really. And and the weird thing is, like, we're, we were in peak green light everything. I mean, whoever thought that someone would green light Asimov's uh, Foundation series? Like, right, that's that, true. That's a pretty far out there in, like, uh, the three-body problem. How do you yep. even turn that into anything? And like that got greenlit. So like if we Coming were going to get a good Stephen King adaptation of this, like we were in the prime zone to just have someone give a crap load of money away for it. And like yeah. now that's all drying up. You think? Well, hopefully we'll get one more before that happens, because I mean, it's he's got the rights. He's got a history of adapting stuff. He's got he's developed a fan base. It's very, very buzzy because a lot of people who love Dark Tower and who love Mike Flanagan see it as a good um, a good marriage of, of sensibilities and skills and all that stuff. So I don't know. I'm hopeful. I mean, all right. You be you be cynical. I'll be hopeful. We're going to switch roles for what? Here's the one thing I'll, I'll, I'll ask you to think about. And, oh, like, gosh. and then you, you can go look at the revenue for Stop um, it. The, Stop it. the last Dark Tower movie. And like, well, yeah, if there I were mean, enough like just fans alone to support it that w they probably all went to it. I know I went to it. Anybody yeah. who was like into the dark tower went to go see it regardless. Right. And so that wasn't enough to prop that up and get it going. Yeah. But and, it's a bigger ask to go to the theater than if you have a streaming service already. I mean, that's true, but if, yeah, I don't know. The streaming service thing like is a black box. Cause you have zero clue how many people watch it. If it's making money, I mean, like shows that you think are awesome get canceled every other yeah. week by every different group. And then like, it was really interesting when Netflix finally released their numbers and you're like, all these shows, you're like, this is bullshit. And you look at the numbers you're like nobody watched. Okay, I know that's it. super sad. And yeah. like you, you don't have a, the same promotional abilities that you used to. And then like mm -hmm. everybody's basically just going back to TV. <laughs> so what we're going to be ad supported again like well yeah. uh, ad companies uh wanting to run ads like a television network like they used to um aren't gonna want to run them against like any r random old thing they're gonna be like well i want my product to be next to a uh, marvel property or i would really want mine to be next to like whatever oprah's into <laughs> you know it's like yeah and no one's going to be like, you know, uh, I have this deodorant and I'd really love it to run up against the Dark Tower series. You don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's a fantasy series, right? Like you would pitch it the same way any other fantasy series, like a Game of Thrones or a, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm the reason Stephen King did so well in the TV market back in the day is because a Stephen, a Stephen King, a short release was like a miniseries special event that like they advertised from the beginning of the year until like it finally aired in like October sometime. Yeah. And like everybody is hyped and no matter what, they're going to all, all turn in, whether it's a train wreck or not to watch. Yeah. The I mean, that's thing. like monoculture back then. Right. Yeah. Like we all, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I feel like this could, the Mike Flanagan of it feels like it has some cachet. We'll see. We'll see. All right. So that is it for us this week. Um, if you have some thoughts, perhaps you would agree with DJ and think I'm being too Pollyanna, which I probably am, to be honest, to be fair. But I need some joy in my life. Please, please let me have some serotonin. Uh, you can always email us at castofcaughtzombiegirls.com. Um, and that's G-R-R-L-Z.com. Or you can come chat with us on the Cast of Caught Facebook group. Or you can slide into the DMs on Instagram, Twitter, and threads at ZG Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. 
if you're a horror fan and you like spooky, like to watch spooky movies and spooky shows, check out our video on demand and streaming calendar at zombiegirls.com where we keep track of all the spooky doings that are happening on all of those streaming services that DJ is poo-pooing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to buy some of our awesome merch, we've got some of that ready for you at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. And of course, we have a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombiegirls where you get extended episodes, bonus episodes, and uh, all kinds of other cool content we have coming our way. I've been lately doing a bunch of like solo stuff for the patrons where I've been reviewing classic horror films and also sharing the books that I've been reading. I just actually, I'm almost done with this book, DJ. I think you would think it was interesting called The Anomaly, Anomaly. which is kind of, yeah, it's kind of, it's horror, but it's very much like, um, like the character is kind of almost like a, like a less, like a less campy Giorgio Tsoukalos, ancient aliens type person. Okay. Um, who like, goes looking for something in the Grand Canyon and finds it <laughs> and then gets trapped and has to deal with what he found. And it's pretty, it's pretty cool. So um, I'll be talking about that, but yeah, lots of cool stuff on the Patreon. If you've been thinking about becoming a patron, this is the year to do it because we have a bunch of fun stuff planned. All right. In the meantime, though, DJ say they're like, Holy shit. DJ is amazing. And you are, so they should. What, <laughs> Where else can they find you on the internet? I mean, you can uh, poke around on Facebook and probably find me there lurking in the Castica. If you're on their Discord, you can definitely see me there. Yes. Um, I am a lazy internet person as of late. So uh, after the Russians stole my uh, Instagram account, I don't even post there anymore. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, you just reach out if you want to see what cool things I'm building. Uh, the Discord is probably the easiest personal attachment you can find of Rachel and I hop in there and you'll yeah. see us like posting links and stuff. And that's part of the membership program. So get in there and become one of the watchers. You can see all the weird crap I build for my wife and my house every, <laughs> every other day, which is, uh, it's really cool. Actually, <laughs> I need to like get you back over to my house so you, I can be like, okay, I know what all these things are wrong with my house. How do I fix them? I don't need you to fix them for me. I just need you to tell me how to fix them. Oh yeah. Just pick how. some dates and, uh, Danny and I will, uh, zoom up and, uh, hang out for a long I'd weekend love that. and walk you through whatever fixes you need. Okay, that would be amazing. Like, even if you could just point me at how to solve a problem, that'd be awesome. <laughs> but yeah, definitely, if you want to hang out with us, the Discord is the best place to do it because we're on there all the time. DJ posts all kinds of cool art that he's doing and projects he's doing. I'm in there just bullshitting about whatever all day long, talking to everybody. Uh, it's a really fun and really welcoming group. So you should definitely hop in there, especially if you're already a patron and you haven't hopped in. Like a lot of our patrons don't, They, I mean, not a lot. Some of our patrons don't ever join the Discord, even though they have access to it. And I'm like, you're, you're missing out on the literally the best work. <laughs> um, so yeah, do that. Um, as far as podcasting, you can find me all across the Zombie Girls Podcast Network. Our latest Zombie Girls episode that is out is our year in review where we talk about all the horror movies that we loved in 2023 and what we're looking forward to in 2024. Uh, you can also find me on occasionally on Bloody Good Horror. This week I'm going to be on there talking about ISS, which is a, a very interesting sci-fi political thriller in space that came out this week. And where else? Can you put? Oh, and of course on Outpost Unknown. Uh, after this, I'm actually going straight into a recording with our friend Matthew, where we're going to be talking about Star Wars. So if you're on, uh, if you enjoy a YouTube project product, you should definitely follow, smash the subscribe button, bell, whatever it is that people do on YouTube uh, for <laughs> Outpost Unknown. And occasionally, you'll even get some DJ on there. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right. So unless you're sticking around for the extended episode where we're going to be talking about Stephen King adaptations that are stuck in development hell, that is it for us, DJ. Take us out. Thanks for listening to another exciting episode of the cast of Ka, where, you know, I would normally throw something clever in here, but today I'm just going to say, stay warm, everyone. Stay warm. <laughs> Indeed. Like the muzzle of a gun. Stay warm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. That's a good, uh, that's a good um, you. reference. Thank you. I learned from the best. I learned from watching you, Deej. I learned oh, from watching you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And to my co-host, DJ, for making me laugh and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies. Production on this episode was done by yours truly. Our theme song for the show was created by DJ.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the extended episode. Oh, my goodness, DJ. It's so good to be back on a call with you. I've missed your voice, and I miss your face so much. I mean, we need to plan more hangouts, get those on the schedule. Yes, I agree 100%. So before we dive into whatever content you have planned, I have something I would like to uh, discuss with you. Oh, Um, and that is is also might be interesting for the patrons. Okay. Um, so uh, we all have been bombarded with left and right. The fact that the AI will eventually be uh, taking over our jobs. Yeah. And, you mm-hmm. know, you have to pay for yeah. those AI subscriptions now to, like, go get your chat GPTs. But did mm-hmm. you know, Rachel, that if you have a nice computer at home, you can set up a private chat GPT that is sandboxed on your own computer? What? And what would be the purpose of having it? So imagine for a moment, if you will, let's say you are a writer, for example. <laughs> I and, can't imagine it, but I'll try. <laughs> and, and you have to uh, reference a bunch of uh, technical journals or you need information at your fingertips that is in giant PDFs all over the place. With these models on your personal computer, you can actually feed them these homes and they will ingest them and make them part of their answering routines when you ask Mm. them questions or query them or requests i don't know let's say like uh i want um i I want a paragraph with the citations for you know whatever thing i'm working on like bam done or like uh you, if the podcast starts getting real if i start sounding really smart on the podcast <laughs> just assume i have <laughs> well, i the, will tell you that i've installed chat gpt on my computer but there will be signs <laughs>